Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Welcome, welcome. You are listening to Red Sea Roundup. I am your host today, Pam Marvin. This is KEDC you're listening to, and you're also listening to KYAR 98.3 in Central Texas and KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine. You can also call us at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA, 855-683-7332. I am so so very delighted to be here today and be a host again. I, I really consider it a privilege and an honor to get to be on the airwaves um, here at the Catholic Student Center in St. Mary's and College Station. Um, with that, I have some lovely guests in the audience, or in the audience, or in the in the control room with me. But I want to begin our day. We're going to be talking uh, with them about a new school that's coming to our area. But let's start in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we bless you, ask you to bless us during this time. We give our hearts to you. We give our ears to you um, to enlighten our minds and help us just to, to be the authentic women of God that you've called us to be and help us to grow in love of you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, I have joining me this morning, Paula Gobabai <laughs> and Sarah Adams. Welcome, ladies. I am, listen, so I'm so excited when I heard when Kylene first started telling me about this new adventure you guys are setting out on with the Stella Maris uh, Montessori School. And this is of Catholic origin, correct? Yes. Absolutely, yes. Okay, so, um, so how did this even start? This has been a desire of my heart for several years. I became interested in Montessori when I visited a friend that had three small children and a brand new newborn. I was expecting chaos. I did not find it. They had a beautiful home. Um, their kids were confident, capable. Beautiful. I asked what they were doing, and it was Montessori. Right, and I'm so I'm so excited to tell you the little the gurglings you hear in the background <laughs> are the two week old Colby. So it's such a blessing. It's the growing church. So we're so happy to have these little sounds and noises in the background. Uh, I, yeah, there wasn't anything like this, particularly when I was, uh, my kids were small. I did actually get to homeschool for a little while as well, which I loved. Wonderful. So Montessori kind of, kind of meets it right there too, right? A little bit. Is it, how's it integrated? Like the Montessori, is it half day? Is it a full day? We are planning on offering both options, half day and full day with no need for at home supplementation. We're a Catholic Montessori cooperative school. So mm-hmm. that means that we are hiring certified Montessori teachers to teach the classroom portion, but the rest of the operations of the school is performed by parents. We believe Mm. that parental involvement is very important, important to the family, important to the growth of the school. So we've designed it in a way to keep families really engaged. That's wonderful. So how are you getting the word out? To the radio, maybe? (laughs) That's a big step for us, yes. I hear you have a beautiful website, too. We do. Brand new. Just got that Can you tell us the name of that, the website? Yes, that's Maristella. The name of the school is Maristella Montessori. Um, 
Our website is maristellabcs.org. That's M-A-R-I-S-S. T-E-L-L-A-B-C-S. Right. And so the the greatest needs, I would imagine, is getting the word out for students. Absolutely. And probably there's going to need to get to be some funding behind it to be able to get all this starting, some seed money to make things sure things are going. Um, so if you're listening to this right now and you are a parent with young ones at home that would really be interested in um, this school, the Stella Maris, with this Catholic background, um, what is the first step they should do to reach out to you to, number one, get involved maybe with their dollars and with their children? So how would we do that? Well, we are looking for families right now. We have been working on this for since the beginning of the year. We've laid a lot of groundwork, and now we're looking for families who are interested in starting the co-op with us. Okay. Um, the application is online on our website under the admissions tab. And we are indeed looking for funding. We have some big news. We do have our first large donation of $10,000 with an additional commitment for $10,000 more in matching. So we would love to make that match. We are are actively looking to make that. Yes, definitely. That's wonderful. So through the airwaves and word of mouth, I'm sure. Yeah, so right now I think that the biggest way that we've been communicating has been mostly um, kind of via email. We have an, an interest people who've expressed interest, like because we have a Facebook page and Facebook, I guess. So mm-hmm, Facebook and yes. email. So we have a Facebook page. Um, Mar- again, Maristella BCS, you know, is you um, on Facebook and um, and through the email, just kind of communicating what we've been doing, you know, because we've had a number of people that have expressed interest, um, and so. Um, um, sorry, um, have expressed interest in trying to, um, you know, just keep them informed. And, um, and so, yeah, so that's really what we've been focusing on, you know, kind of this original group of people mm-hmm. that have expressed interest. And now we're looking to get the word out a little bit farther. Okay. Um, so. so how many families are currently involved, like that you have going and what are you hoping to grow it to, to start off? And do you start off with just ki- ki- kindergarten or how does, I don't know how this works. So tell me. We have a core team of four that have been really working Four families. On right. Yes. Okay. Of four. Um, and we are now looking for about 10 other families to really hash out the details of the school. This is a cooperative. It is meant to be what we want it to be. So we want the input of the families that will be with us. We are planning on starting with two classrooms. Uh, Montessori classrooms are composed of three ages. So the first classroom is three to six-year-olds. The next classroom is lower elementary, and that's first through third grade. Wonderful. And do you have location yet? Yes. You yeah. do. That's you exciting. Do. It's a big piece of the puzzle. Yes. We will be in one of the Panther Crossing cabins on Millican Reserve, which Panther is Crossing beautiful Millican Reserve. Yes. Wow. So that's so. like toward the Welborn area, I guess? Yes. Yeah. Just down Wellborn, yes. And it's just before the entrance that you use to go to the farmer's market. They hold a lot of events down there. So if you've driven down there, you've passed by our cabin. That's amazing. That sounds beautiful. It's perfect. Okay, so we're getting the word out and as we start to grow it. So tell us a little bit more about the way that the the days will be structured, I guess. Can you tell me more about that? Sure. Um, So, you know, we're looking like, so as Paul was saying, is that we're looking, um, so the certified Montessori teachers, like, so that's, you know, that's going to be really important um, just because um, that, you know, there's not a printed curriculum. Like there's not, like that's not how Montessori works. Um, And so, you know, that, all of it really hinges on the teacher. And so that that's a, a very important piece of the puzzle. So we absolutely, you know, and we've said this before, like that if this is not going to be good, like we're not, 
we're not going to do it. So um, let me change your good to excellence. That's, that's a word yeah, okay. I've learned yeah. from uh, dear Thaddeus over there. He uh, the striving and and the striving towards excellence, which we should do in our faith. Mm-hmm. We should do with our kids. Yes, Thaddeus, you. He doesn't have a Mac right now, so I'm going to kind of talk for him. But uh, yes, he's like that striving for excellence. Mm-hmm. I think that's not just to simply be good. You know, that that co- commercial yes. progressive. Oh, it's, he's good. You know, we yeah. very much feel that way. Yeah, excellent. But yeah, so but yeah, so I. So the excellent, if it's not going to be excellent, that, you know, it's, it's not, we're not going to do it. Um, and so the, the beginning will be the first half of the day. And, you know, we don't have the times, you know, kind of hashed out, but we are very cognizant of the fact, you know, that like right now we'll only be starting being able to take three to, um, three to eight year olds. And, you know, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of families with kiddos that are outside of that age range. And so we want to make sure we will be sure to make sure that the, um, the times, don't conflict with, you know, drop off for, for other schools. Um, and so, so yeah, so that'll be in the morning will be like early morning to like lunchtime ish will be the Montessori classroom instruction. Mm -hmm. And then after that, the afternoon will be the parent led enrichment activities, Mm -hmm. one of which will be catechesis of the good shepherd, um, which is, you know, a Montessori based, um, method of evangelization to kids. It's, it's amazing. Like, you know, I'm a, that's how I fell in love with Montessori was being formed for the catechesis of the good shepherd, um, level one, which is the three, four and five year olds. And we do have that in college station, but we do not have level two, which we are planning on having at our school. So there'll be level one and two at the school, which is, um, really exciting. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not approved RE. And so, you know, it doesn't count for like your sacrament prep kind of thing, but it's just like the idea of being able, like, because the sacrament prep stuff that's in catechesis for the good shepherd is so beautiful. Mm. Um, and so, um, so yeah, like really, ex- and the other thing too is, you know, that my, um, my oldest has aged out of that level one atrium. So like, I am thrilled to, you know, have this possibility to have, you know, that, that next level of an atrium. And I know that, um, yeah, that a lot of families that have been involved with Catechesis of the Good Shepherd are, are excited, would be excited to have that. That actually reminds me of something that's also important. Uh, we are not a diocesan school, mm-hmm. but we have been in contact with the diocese about this project. They're enthusiastic to see us go ahead and do it. Wow. Um, we also have good relationships at St. Joe's. Um, we feel like we're kind of filling a gap that's there, and we're excited that's to beautiful be working with both those organizations. right so you were looking you're currently also you said looking for Montessori certified teachers mm-hmm. do you have someone on board already we do not do not so no. you are currently looking for yes them. we've yeah. started drafting up our um job our like job, job posting, posting yes and to post that in different area schools um through cgs through catechesis mm-hmm. because there are people that are certified as teachers as well who are who do that yeah, because there's a lot of really um, so Houston and Austin have a lot of um, like so there's a really good training program in Austin and I think there are two or three Montessori training programs in Houston mm-hmm. and so that those are you know kind of two areas where we um, have been reaching out to some of the schools and you know seeing like how we would go about letting them know that we've got this opportunity coming up right so, right that's so terribly exciting really say so I, I let's go ahead and repeat the um the website so if, if you want more information to find out by the Stella Maris school you can go to their website at Stella Maris Maris, no, Maris, Maris Stella, Stella. Yes. yes I'm sorry 
Those are both titles of Mary. Yes, so. <laughs> but ours is maristellabcs.org. Yeah. Yeah, right. And you fill out an application. There's an application. And how will a parent be involved? Like, this sounds so wonderful to me, but if I was a new mom and I had a child that was just about this right age, what would my responsibility be? Well, you bring up a wonderful point. I myself am a new mother all over again. Mm-hmm. And we are determined to give everyone a role and responsibility that fits their availability, their talents. I mean, God has given us so much, has given each one of us so much. We all have so much to offer. And if we just had an outlet to do that, I think we could make something as beautiful as this school. So there's so going to be a variety of different roles, some some very big, some smaller, mm. because we want everyone to be able to be involved as much as they can and they want to be. That's yeah. Beautiful. And so like kind of at this point, some of the concrete things that we're looking at is um, so right now there are kind of three of us that have been doing a lot of the work. And um, so Kyleen Westner, who's one of our board members, um, she has really kind of done all of the technical stuff. She's like been she's wonderful. the website and the Facebook, like, because that's just not like, not our skill set. Yeah. I am a CPA. And so like, so yeah, so that's, um, so that would be some, you know, somebody that would be um, like, that is good with that kind of thing, like maintaining a Facebook page, maintaining a website, mm-hmm. like that would be something. Oh, like a mom could do. Yes. So it's not necessarily in the school, but no, yeah. yeah like yeah, I mean, yeah, right now, right. especially now as we're like trying Support. to kind of get it started. Um, and another thing, like for people that are crafty, which again is not my, um, yeah, my me either. I'd um, be the nap time person. Okay. <laughs> no, also like, important. Because we have like, there are a lot of materials, like yes. that's how a Montessori and a catechesis of the Good Shepherd classroom mm. works. Like the kids learn with materials and particularly for the atrium, which is the catechesis part um, a lot of them you cannot even you cannot buy them mm-hmm. completed because that's part of it. it's like you're supposed to pray over them as you make so like yeah. just things like painting right. like so there are there are so many things like gardening and yeah so there are a right. lot of like at this point and then as we move forward and the school actually begins there will be other things right. and having said that too as much as we uh-huh. are looking for families students to go to our school we feel like we're really working on something exciting here and so if you don't fall yes. into one of those categories a family or a big donor mm. we still want your help and there's still a place for you right and you know the one thing we haven't mentioned that we want to do is um, wrap you guys and the school in prayer yes Absolutely. thank we you Jesus this has come that. about this is definitely um, a holy spirit Spirit um, come on, prompted, I can see. That's yes. very Holy Spirit we prompted. Absolutely feel that way. And we'll just ask for listeners, if you're listening now, just to lift up a little prayer for this Montessori school that will be developing here in the, in the Bryan College Station area. And again, if you are a family as well, you can go to their website. Um, and Facebook page, you said there's also the Facebook page. Yeah, the Facebook page has mm-hmm. not been as well maintained as the website. So okay. the website is probably a much it better. Has more information. Yeah, it's a better place right. to, to go. So. Well, I'll be sure and try and do a link with um, the Red Sea Radio yes, one. So we'll do that. And maybe BCS Catholics, if y'all are familiar yes. with that yes. one. Yes. That's a good one as well to reach yeah. out to. Um, such beautiful families. Okay. Well, I cannot thank you both enough. Thank Sarah you so much for Adams. And Paula. <laughs> Go Paula. Go yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, and, and Colby. No, I will be praying for this endeavor. Please and if do. you'd like to reach out to them and um, give a donation or join their cause, you can, again, get them at that website. MaristellaBCS.org. And we'll be back after the break.
Well, welcome back. Welcome back. This is Pam Marvin, your host of Red Sea Roundup on this 20th day of November. And I am very excited. And that's really kind of an understatement for me. I, I My guest today is Jim Olson. And, and Jim and Meredith have been near and dear to my heart for many years. And I have to say, Jim, anytime we start to talk about your past profession, I'm always so struck. I get like this real star struck to listen to hear all of this. So I do get a little bit nervous. So you'll help me through that, right? Sure. Sure. Glad awesome. To. Um, I just getting to go through the book. I only got to read like two chapters in the time I've had it, but um, wow, just everything that's in your brain has just been so amazing to me. So let me, let me go ahead and just start in the proper order and give you a little bit of an intro. Um, Jim is a professor who received his law degree from the University of Iowa. He is a professor of the practice, which I love that, at the Bush School, where he teaches courses in intelligence and counterintelligence. He served for over 30 years in the Directorate of Operations at the Central Intelligence Agency, mostly overseas in clandestine operations. In addition to several foreign assignments, he was the chief of counterintelligence at the CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. Professor Olson has been awarded the intelligence. Whoops, my, I, I can't see the rest of my script here. Excuse me. Uh, Medal of Merit and Distinguished Career Intelligence Medal, the Donovan Award, and several Distinguished Service citations. He is a recipient of awards from the Bush School and the Association of Former Students. I didn't know that one, Jim, for excellence in teaching. Uh, Professor Olson is the author of Fair Play, The Moral Dilemmas of Spying, and the one we'll be speaking of today, To Catch a Spy, The Art of Counterintelligence. Prior to his career in the CIA, he also served in the U.S. Navy, uh, where he attained the rank of lieutenant commander. Welcome again. Do you get tired of hearing all of this, your accolades? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Short and sweet is always yeah. what I prefer. Yeah. Okay, well, my my, here, here's my introduction. Today I'll be speaking with Jim Olson, an all-around really great guy who's got a lot of cool knowledge in his head. <laughs> so thank you so much. Um, I guess one of the places I really want to start, I'm going to start real simply, okay, for for people that just like myself who will want to learn more about, but we're going to start easily. So what actually is espionage? Yeah. Uh, are, you know, how do you articulate that for lay, laity, so to speak? Espionage is stealing other countries' secrets. Mm. And Meredith and my job when we were overseas was to steal secrets from foreign countries that our country needed for its own safety. Counterintelligence is stopping foreign countries from stealing our secrets. Mm. And that's really the first love that I've had in this business. I really get a great deal of satisfaction out of stopping foreign intelligence services from stealing our technology and our secrets. Wow. I, I Yes, I can see that because today I'm, I'm a big newsy. I love to follow current events. I mean, my background is in political science, as you know, and um, I'm very fascinated. Like, so a lot of what you were saying um, about the spying, I'm really fascinated about how really infiltrated it is now. Just me as a layperson looking, I'm acutely aware of how much spying is going on in the American public, both by um, foreign governments and just in general, everybody's looking at everybody <laughs> these days. Yeah, that's right, Pam. It's it's in the news practically every day. We have a huge problem in this country, and I don't think we're taking it seriously enough. Mm. 
I don't think very many Americans realize the extent to which foreign intelligence services are active in the United States and going after our technology and our secrets. We are hemorrhaging our secrets mm. and our technology, and that's got to stop. You know, it's just the technology alone is costing America billions of dollars every year in, in lost markets, jobs, competitive advantage. And the major culprit is China, but there are some 80 countries that we have counted that are actively spying inside the United States against us. So how do you think we got to this point where so few, so that we're hemorrhaging it? I mean, I would, I would venture to say one of the things I think is a problem with our country and has led us to where we are right now is what I call the poverty of prosperity, which has really slowed us down and made us lull into this sense of security. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that we have become complacent. I think that when we won the Cold War, we thought it was probably game over, that America would have a whole new era of security and prosperity. And that was not the case. The Russians haven't gone away for starters. Mm -hmm. But as the world leader, we're the target, and everybody's coming after us. I don't think that we've been given enough resources in counterintelligence to protect our people and our secrets. I really hope that will change. One of the reasons I wrote the the book, uh, To Catch a Spy, was that I don't think we're doing nearly enough. I don't think we're, we're really aware of how badly we are really being attacked by foreign intelligence services. And, and what, is, do you, what is it you think that we, needs to start happening now to, to get things back on track? So I love talking about solutions, and I'm sure you have a few. Yeah. I think the most important thing, Pam, is awareness. I think the American people need to realize the danger that we're facing and then commit the resources, the priority to, to stopping it. That's not happening yet. That's really why I wrote the book. I think the American people need to know this is going on. It's real. It's happening right here in our country, right on our doorstep. And it is pervasive and it is really, really harming our country. Uh, uh, yes. I, I, you know, even before I read your book or read parts of it, um, I was seeing things, starting to see things in different layers of the news about how deeply China has started to get in a grip in some of corporate America yes. because of dollars and so forth. Like, and, and getting it to the point where we're even seeing this, and, and maybe you, I hope you don't mind speaking on this too, but all of a sudden I'm waking up in a country where people are thinking, hey, socialism looks pretty sexy these days. <laughs> Communism, not so bad. Yeah. What's happened there? Is that would you say that might be a symptom of this kind of covert spying and the planting from within? Yeah, I think that's true. I don't think uh, young people particularly realize what socialism really was. For them, the Cold War is ancient history. The abuses of the Soviet Union, the oppression, the the torture of their own people. Uh, socialism hasn't worked anywhere. I think that there is a, a bit of naivete on the part of young people particularly, but maybe even into the population in general about what socialism really is. Amirath and I devoted our careers to fighting communism and socialism. I think we have a pretty good fix on what it really was. We lived in Russia. We saw firsthand how those people were being oppressed by their own government. We don't want any of that here. And as a result, I think there is kind of a lowering of the guard that we are not vigilant enough about protecting our people. If the American people knew 
the extent of Chinese spying inside the United States by their foreign intelligence services, they would be outraged and they'd demand action. So the book, I hope, will spread that knowledge, mm-hmm. make people realize that— like wake up. That wake up. It is a wake-up call to the American people. Hey, we've got to stop this. This cannot continue. Mm. You know, uh, I feel very blessed that we're here in Bryan College Station and, and at St. Mary's in particular, at the University of Texas A&M, because uh, I really want to make a plea to some of our younger listeners— Perhaps if this is really hitting at your heartstrings, please get Jim's book and read it to see if there's something that if you're feeling called uh, that you might want to start in a career, so to speak, um, in spying. So as I was reading through your book and thought, man, we need more good spies in America mm-hmm. that are in really doing their jobs in this counterintelligence you spoke of. But, you know, when you start to think, well, what what's a career path for a young person who feels very patriotic in this area and wants to to do this type of work? Because I feel like that's part of the problem as well. We don't have enough groundswell of people going into the industry. That's true, Pam. And it has been heartwarming for me to be here at Texas A&M at the Bush School because I see every day patriotic, idealistic young men and women who really feel called to serve our country. Mm. And it is a calling. Mm-hmm. George Bush established our school, the Bush School, because he wanted to help young people go into public service. And our program has heavily evolved into national security. We are sending a lot of Aggies into the United States intelligence community, into law enforcement, into homeland security. Mm. That's a very rewarding second career for someone like me mm-hmm. to be able to, now to work with this generation I see so many of them out there doing exciting and important work. The Texas A&M University input into national security is huge. I think all Aggies should be very proud of what's going on here because we are recognized now as a premier program in preparing young people for this kind of career. We're being flooded by applications from all over the country. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, so um, usually it's a graduate level, I'm guessing. Everything at the Bush School is graduate level, correct? The Bush School is a two-year master's program, so we only take graduate students. We're attracting applicants from all around the country. And the only common denominators are that we have to see in any applicant a true heart to serve. Mm. They have to have a servant's heart. They have to be really committed to dedicating themselves to something they believe in. It's like a vocation in many ways. And secondly, we want them to feel that that call is in national security international affairs, diplomacy, counterterrorism, federal law enforcement, the kinds of things that we specialize in over at the Bush School. Mm. Yeah, I can really see um, such a need for that. So how what is the capacity right now? Are y'all growing still as far as like how many people are over there learning? We're expanding. Yeah. Because the the need is great. The demand is growing. We are expanding our facilities at the Bush School. And we're going to increase the number of students we bring in every year. Right now, in our international affairs program, we bring in 90 a year. Mm. And since it's a two-year program, we have 180 students in residence at any given time. And intelligence, I'm proud to say, is the number one concentration in that program. That's wonderful. And as you were speaking, I was also um, starting to reflect on the qualities of a young person to go into this program and it is a sound moral character because in reading your book, I also see that the people who are 
sometimes turned to be a double agent, double, what, how, what, how is that referred to? They're betraying our country as yes, traitors. The traitors in mm-hmm. general is because they, they lacked a moral fiber. Yes. And, and so that's why I'm so thankful that we're talking about this on Catholic Radio today as well, um, because we need people of good, strong moral fiber who can overcome. Um, and it looks like, for a large part, the greed. Yes. Greed is being yeah, the Most big- Americans have betrayed our country for money, and that is kind of a common denominator we've seen throughout mm. the years. Spies are evil. People who betray our country, I believe, are evil. So this kind of career is is very fulfilling in the fact that you are devoting your career to fighting evil. I saw evil face-to-face more often than I care to remember in my career. Mm. And stopping that and protecting our country against that kind of behavior, people who really have no regard for our country, people who betray the identities of courageous Russians and others who are working for us, condemning them to execution and torture. That's about as low a form of of life, I think, that there is. And counterintelligence, we're ferreting those people out and holding them accountable for justice. Right. As you're saying that, Jim, one of the things that's been on Paul and my heart that's become so much more obvious and in our face in our country today is the spiritual warfare. Definitely, when, when you say you're faced with evil... That means we need more warriors for good. Yes. Right. I couldn't agree with more with that. You know, the spying business is based on deception and manipulation to some extent. But Meredith and I truly believe that by dedicating our lives to fighting oppressive, totalitarian, atheistic communism, we were on the right side of that. Mm -hmm. We really found it fulfilling to come home at night and realize that we contributed to something we truly believed in to protect this wonderful country of ours against these truly evil people who want to destroy us. Right. I would love to see, is there like a moral component that they have at the school too, talking about, you know, ethics? I mean, sure, there's ethics. Sure. We are very committed to raising moral, ethical leaders. We have a leadership program which emphasizes that. In my classes on intelligence, I certainly spend a lot of time talking about the morality of spying. And as you know, you mentioned it earlier, I wrote a whole book on that because I think about the morality of spying a lot. Can a person of faith actually spend a career lying and manipulating and stealing as spies do? We felt we were doing those things for a greater good, and that was, I think, uh, verified by the fact that many fine people have confirmed that serving our country as a spy— as an intelligence officer, is a noble and honorable thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I see that as—so if you're listening and you, you're saying, well, you know, great, this is wonderful to information, Pam, but me just as a layperson with an everyday life here in um, Texas in general, what can I do? And, and the first thing that's coming to my mind is being prayer warriors, um, raising families mm-hmm. that are of good, solid moral fiber. Yes. And uh, especially when it comes to that notion of, um, of greed and fighting against greed. Yes. Um, yeah, I think prayer is the answer too. Meredith and I pray for our country every day. Mm-hmm. We pray for its safety. We pray for its protection against the people who would undermine our, our safety and our, and our security. Uh, prayer is, is the answer. There's no question about it. 
No question. And also, um, the knowledge is power as far as the amount of spying that's going on on you and me every day. I'm, no, I'm sure you're profoundly aware of it. Um, it's still just, I still kind of get shocked when I hear things like, if you're in a Chinese hotel, the Wi-Fi is constantly monitor, monitored. So there's no, you know, with my husband being in uh, the computer and all the things IT, he's actually getting quite a few people now asking him to um, advise on security because it's so unsecure. He's like insecure, uh, the systems, uh, the whole Wi-Fi. So if you, for instance, St. Mary's here, thank goodness, is is um, locked down, but Paul has a set, certain level of security and he's out there trying to ring that bell as well. Sure. Is it, It's too open and people don't even realize how open it is and how much it can be hacked. Now, are there any any truth to the claims of, of things like even if if your product is um, like the drones that are product of just as a toy of China, that they're actually tapping into those cameras as well? Sure, they're taking advantage of any avenue they have to get into our country. They are very devious. They're very good at what they do. They're pouring tremendous resources into spying on America. And I'm glad you brought up China, Pam, because China is in a class by itself. Mm. The Russians are still there, and their level of espionage against the United States is higher than it even was during the Cold War. But China is a different order of magnitude completely. They are absolutely flooding our country with spies trying to steal our technology. They're going after the traditional espionage targets of politics and military, but their number one objective by far is to steal American technology, trade secrets, industrial procedures, to make their industry more efficient, and above all, to build up their military. Mm. We've got to stop that. I can't think of a single significant Chinese weapon system that is not based on stolen American technology. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Gosh, so we are the envy of the world when it comes to technology. <laughs> yeah, I guess we can take some pride that everybody wants our secrets because they're so important <laughs> and so good in our technology because it's the world leader. But that makes us a right. target, and we have to be very careful about protecting our our economy and our and our people. Yeah, I, 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 um, I have a real sense of, our need, not only, again, like we said, to pray, but to prepare our future generations to realize this is going on. Um, we can feel it in our culture today. We've seen it, you know, within the church and within um, just government in, in general, that there are, are spies, so to speak, sure. who are infiltrated mm -hmm. to try and bring down the system. Because sure. even in your book, you have a really uh, a great, uh, one of these um, quotes I want to say, because I just thought it was such a good one. It's a, a nation. Um, a nation can survive its fools and even the ambitions, but it cannot survive treason from within. An enemy at the gates is less formidable, for he is known and carries his banner openly. But the traitor moves amongst those with the gate freely, for the traitor appears not a traitor. He speaks in accents familiar to his victims, and he wears their face and their arguments. He rots the soul of a nation. He works secretly and unknown in the night to undermine the pillars of the city. A murderer is far less to fear. The traitor is the plague. And that was from Marcus Tullius Cicero. Did yes. I say that correctly? That's right. I, I thought that was just so profound. Because I do. I, I do. And it was very wise. Uh, 
Traitors inside a country are insidious. They snake themselves into our confidence. They're in a position to do great, great harm from inside. That's what counterintelligence does, and that's why I wrote To Catch a Spy, because this is real. It's Mm -hmm. happening every day. It's happening all around us. It happens in Bryan College Station, Texas. The -hmm. Chinese are everywhere trying to steal advanced research, any kind of technological edge that they can, medical technology. There's nothing that's outside their reach. It's amazing. So with it, throughout your book, you have several different case, study, case studies. Um, could you just go ahead and tell us one of those stories that you really particularly stand out to you as, as you know, our listeners really need to hear this particular one. I think this would be a poignant one. Just kind of give them a taste right. for the things they'll see in the book. I chose the case studies because I think they illustrate different aspects of counterintelligence and different motivations that people have for betraying our country. One of the most heinous for me was a colleague in the CIA whose name was Edward Lee Howard. Edward Lee Howard was being prepared for an assignment to Russia, but it turned out that he was a very low moral character. He was abusing drugs. He was stealing He was doing things that made him unsuitable for our kind of work. We not only canceled his assignment to Moscow, but we fired him. He seethed with anger, bitterness. He wanted revenge against our country, against the CIA that destroyed his life as he saw it. And he got revenge. He got revenge by telling the KGB everything he knew about CIA operations in Moscow, including the identities of some very honorable and courageous Russians who were secretly cooperating with the United States, people that I had worked with personally in Moscow, and I respected those people. They were ideological spies. They were working with us because they hated communism and everything it stood for. And I really felt that when Howard betrayed them, it was about the lowest form of depravity that was possible. How could you do something that to a, like that to another human being? It's it is evil. And so I wanted to, to highlight that case because I think it, it brings together the enormity of the crime of treason, the human cost, and how we need to do a much better job of, of identifying people like that before they can do that kind of damage to our country. I think it's a good point to start on, too, to just discuss a little bit about— um you mentioned in one area the different things that you look at to be able to see if someone is is maybe not quite right, right? right? So what are some of those kind of characteristics to to be aware of just in our everyday life? I think, I mean, it's just good for us to know. People ask me what is the number one qualification for being in the CIA, and you tell them character, mm. moral fiber. We entrust people with secrets that could be very harmful if disclosed. We train them in skills that could be abused. <clears throat> so we're really very careful in sc- <clears throat> screening applicants. No, yeah, so you screen them. I guess that's a very long, probably arduous yeah, it's a, process. it's a lengthy process, and it includes background investigations and also uh, polygraph examinations. And if we see a character flaw, if we see some kind of chink in someone's moral fiber, we shouldn't take a chance on that Mm -hmm. because that flaw, that uh, lack of character will surface at exactly the wrong moment. We need to make certain that the people we we bring on board are truly trustworthy, patriotic, loyal, honest American citizens. People 
sometimes sneak through. Mm-hmm. Howard got through. He should not have gotten in. But we need to be very decisive, and we find people like that in keeping them away from our secrets, even terminating our employment if necessary. Mm. So I want to turn our, our thoughts to a little, just get your thoughts. I do want to kind of really emphasize again, because you have such a firsthand knowledge of communism um, and the socialism, I still kind of want to ring that bell to wake up maybe our younger listeners who, who, who've, who've been seeing this and think, well, you know, that seems so equitable and fair and, you know, everyone's being cared for, like compassionate, especially with socialism. But I particularly would like to hear you talk about how socialism so gradually gets sucked into being communism and, and kind of um, parsing the differences between those two for me, if you wouldn't mind. Socialism is perhaps history's biggest lie. It's very beguiling. People can be duped into thinking that it is humanitarian, that it's people-oriented, it's caring for one another. It's nothing like that. Socialism is totalitarian. It is oppressive. It does not allow dissent. It is leading toward a police state. It is a very, very dangerous system. I've seen it firsthand. I mean, Meredith and I worked against that our whole careers. We know what it is. When I talk to my students at the Bush School, I ask them, have any of you read Solzhenitsyn? The answer is always a no. Really? Nobody has read Solzhenitsyn because for me, he is the greatest witness there is to the reality of what Soviet socialism was, what communism was, the torture, the oppressiveness, the abuses of human rights, the absolute disregard for moral character. It was a heinous system. And people don't realize that today. They they buy into still, it's hard to believe, but they still are beguiled by the attractiveness of this ideology that supposedly cares for all people. Mm-hmm. It's anything but that. Well, you know, I want to caution our, our listeners, too, as, as Catholics um, and social justice, that it can be very difficult to parse the two. Yes. Right. And so I, I would like to address that just a minute. Um, from my personal experience has been one of the main ways I define it or can delineate it a little bit is on the very local level. Yes. Like when I'm looking in someone's eyes to care for them, and it should be like caring for our own in our communities. But once you start to get a, on the federal, even state and federal level, it starts to get impersonal. Yes. And you get a lot more room for this abuse. Yes. We Catholics, of course, are called to be generous, kind, loving, compassionate. And we do that in our daily lives. The problem, I believe, becomes when the state takes over that and dictates it and uses it for its own purposes. And that's what you see in socialism. They draw people into this belief that they are caring for one another, but in the process they've given away their rights, their freedom, and the state takes over. And the state in a communist system and a socialist system does not really have the best interests of the people at heart. It's power. It is power. It is utilizing people for their own ends. It's a, a vicious and truly evil a system that people live under. I can't imagine that anybody would want that for our country. All they have to do is look at history. All they have to do is look around the world. Where has it ever worked? Where has it ever benefited truly the people 
involved in those systems. Never, ever, anywhere. I, I still, and you know, you're a culture watcher much as myself. How do we get to this point where people are so unaware of it? I mean, the younger generation and college age these days, um, not even that aware of it, where I was taught all these things, you know, in school, during political science and, and whatnot. Um, how do we get to this point? Well, Jim? there's a perception that the threat has gone away. The threat? We, the threat yeah. that we Americans are safe. We are living lives of luxury. We are seduced by the entertainment industry. Mm. We are discouraged from really looking deeply into the rights of the citizens, democracy. Uh, we don't teach civics anymore. We are undermining patriotism. It's not being talked about. It's not being respected. We are kind of slipping away, as I see it, from the values that made us who we are. It's heartbreaking. It and you love this country, as we all do, to see us slipping into immorality, into hedonism, into a disregard for the basic values that uh, America's founded on. It, it's a sadness. It's a real sadness. All the more reasons why, Pam, we must pray for our country every day. Pray for our country. Yeah, as, as a, I heard something recently. Let's talk about patriotism a second because you were a fine example of it. And one of the things that I heard, I heard or read somewhere recently that I thought was really great as, as a way to resurge and try and, and, and breathe a little more patriotism and something that like I can do, just Pam Marvin and Bryan College Station. And um, that's when like my kids play sports, right? And so we do the national anthem before sports. And I read somewhere, be encouraged, sing no matter how, <laughs> sing at the top of your lungs, be proud as an American. And I found myself doing that. And I sometimes am by myself singing that loudly. But, you know, sometimes I inspire other people to go, yeah, I'm going to sing really loudly too. Yeah. To just to really sing and have that resurgence of pride. Um, I'm so I'm so thankful that we do at that at our sporting events. Yes. And to put it into the right context, have dialogue. You know, we've had all this, you know, really misinformation about the whole Colin Kaepernick thing and the, the kneeling and all that. That was just that just wasn't in the right context. Right. So we have to give better context to our our, our people, our families. Sure, we're good for you for doing that, and I, I hope all of us take that on as uh, as our obligation to express our patriotism, mm -hmm. to let people know that we are really proud of this country and its symbols, that we honor and respect the flag, that we are not ashamed about praying for our country that we pledge the allegiance to, to our country. We have prayer before events. We allow God to be mentioned in, in our classrooms and in our conversations with others. Right. All that, all that, unfortunately, is kind of in decline, I think. Right. And one thing you didn't mention, which um, is the Constitution. Yes. Our Constitution is, is just an—I have to say, when I was here at A&M, uh, my constitutional law class was my absolute favorite one because— really the brilliance that went into the con construction and, and writing of our constitution was so far and beyond what my little brain can comprehend. I, and I love that. Have you seen that there's copies of it like floating around? People say, read your constitution. We want you to know what is in there. It's such a brilliant, almost living document as well. Sure. Yeah. It's the genius of our founding fathers. Genius. And genius. It has persevered basically intact for all the years that it has. It's a, it's a sacred document. It's something we should all pledge mm -hmm. allegiance to. And even the constitutional protections we're talking about are being undermined. 
in kind of misinterpretation of the Constitution. Separation of church and state was never intended to outlaw religion from the schools or from the public uh, workplace. Yeah, clarify that. So for our listeners who, it's kind of, a, they have muddied those waters. So please kind of clarify that for them. Well, I think that a lot of people think that any mention of religion in any context is somehow violating that separation of church and state. That was never the intention of the founding fathers. The founding fathers were people, in most cases, of a strong faith. They recognized that God was part of our heritage, that it was a country founded on on religious principles. That kind of language appears everywhere when you look into the founding fathers. And the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, these great documents, affirm the fact that we are one nation under God. We need to mm-hmm. we need to affirm that. We need to be insistent that that not be lost. Uh, yes, I totally agree. I'm like kind of dumbfounded just going, they're so right. Um, and the patriotism, little ways to increase that. Uh, one of the things that I've loved is when um, on the 4th of July, I've seen it starting where people are saying as part of their 4th of July is reading the um, the Constitution yes. or um, the independence. I'm blanking right now, which is terrible. But, <laughs> you know, those things to try and really understand. And you know what really, really grips at me? I have a, a nephew who is an Army Ranger and serving his country um, so valiantly right now. And I look at those young men and uh, our, the veterans I have in my family as well. And I, I think of, um, and yourself included, that that kind of sacrifice is only to me comes it comes near to what Christ really dying to self and family yes. to serve country. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't swell in you a sense of patriotism for love of these human beings that are fighting for you, yes. I don't know what will. Right. But just really being appreciative of these men and women in the armed services and, and the sacrifice their whole families make to keep us safe. Right. I think there's a correlation between love of country and love of God. I think those two things are compatible. I see over and over again people who want to serve our country, even in their military or in things like the intelligence community, are often people of faith as well. Mm. I think those two things go together. Yeah. You know, one thing, growing up in the 80s, one thing I saw, too, that was so heart-wrenching was this insidious dislove or dislike for our country. Yes. Like not liking America. And I'm like— that's just a foreign concept to me. I, I don't understand. How did that happen? I, I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's, it's very hard to listen to. There's kind of a hate America undertone to a lot of the things that are going on. Big, bad America. Capitalism, so, bad. We have, we have freedom of speech and we all want to protect that. But denigrating America and only looking at America's flaws is really counterproductive. And so, so much of it just sounds hateful. Right. Toward our country. And it's quite often coming from people who have benefited greatly from everything that America has to offer. Mm. And they still strike back against it in anger. I just can't get it. Right. It, 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 as you're talking about that, it's a diff- it's capitalism. Yes. And, and I heard it articulated really well the other day is that, you know, capitalism still is the best system out there. Right. Yes. Absolutely. But what happens is when people of greed, again, that underlying underlying defect in humanity is that sense of greed that can make capitalism appear 
not so great. And yes. that's why people are turning away from, yes, we're human beings. Things are going to go wrong and awry. But a person of good moral character in a capitalism system can do great and beautiful things yes. for the world and for their God. Right. And to the benefit of the American people or people under any kind of capitalistic system, you know, history has proven that that is the best way to assure prosperity and safety for for the population. It's so evident when you look at history. Mm. So, you know, we're starting to wind down a little bit in our interview. It's gone by so quickly. I, I can't thank you enough for coming in and, you know, really sharing your heart in the in the way about um, love of country and the need for us to be more acutely aware of the spying that's going on. Folks, we need to be aware of that. Um, wake up a little bit. Just know, you, you mean through our social media, I'm sure it's all of that is there. I can just I can just feel it. And then I hear things, too, that I'm like, wow, is this true? Maybe, maybe not. But I'm going to take it on face value that the spying is going on. And through that means in the phones, I mean, I've had creepy things happen like, you know, uh, on the with the phones, kind of like knowing what you're even thinking sometimes, like the in, MK Ultra deal. <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> it's been crazy. Like that disturbs me quite a lot, too. Um, I know that's been declassified, too, the MK Ultra. Yes, MK Ultra has been declassified and uh, not a pretty episode in our history. Mm. But you're, you're exactly right. And we don't want to be paranoid. We don't want to see enemies everywhere. But the truth is, is that spies are everywhere. Our country is filled with people who wish us harm, who are trying to subvert our citizens and to steal our secrets and our technology. It's time to do more to stop that. Well, and I would say on, on top of that, saying they're trying to flip our country, socialists and communism because of the because of power. Sure, sure. Our enemies want to steer us into systems that will weaken us in the long run. And socialism would destroy our strength. There's no question about it. Absolutely. So um, for our listeners who are getting very motivated by this patriotism that we're talking about for God and country, could you recommend um, maybe a really good classic book that helps people to understand more about communism? Um, like I'm saying, because I think you're right on. We don't read like we should. It's not as available. If our parents weren't readers, then we may not know about it. So is there some kind of literature or reading, maybe even a magazine you would say is really good for that type of information so we can get more educated? Read Solzhenitsyn. Yes. <laughs> he is He is the best witness. He is the best testimony. And I would like to see a resurgence in respect for Solzhenitsyn and his message. It's very timely, very relevant to what's happening in our country today. People need to understand the reality, <clears throat> the reality of Soviet communism. And nobody says it better than Solzhenitsyn. Well, and I also would say read To Catch a Spy. <laughs> so you can really see what's going on there, the art of counterintelligence. And also... Fair Play. What a great book. I really did thoroughly enjoy that one because uh, uh, those are actually things we wrestle with as human beings, too, with the, the moral dilemmas yes. um, of doing the right thing and going for a greater good. Um, yeah. We still have a couple minutes left, but do you want to relay any more of the favorite um, kind of case studies that you had in your book? Well, I have a lot of them. I think that they will be of interest to the readers. They are very very human. They look at the frailties of character that have led people down the wrong path. I think there are some object lessons there for all of us mm -hmm. about how 
people may start out good but can be suborned by temptations, by greed, by lust, by right. anger. There's just so many things in, in, in life that can take us in the wrong direction. And it's a slippery slope. You take that first step. Many people just kind of cut a corner here. They took a little bit of money there. Before they knew it, they were drawn into a life of betraying our country. Right. So that kind of reminds me to what the theme of my radio show has really developed into, and that is um, human formation Mm -hmm. and virtue training, because I feel very strongly about that. And that plays really in, in, in very well to what you're saying, too to develop a good moral fiber and characters enough that you would be Christ-like and die to yourself and to your family. Let's let's start there, ladies and gentlemen and listeners. Start with your family. Die to self with family, and that will like eventually grow in dying to self for your country. No capitalism, and we live in the greatest country in the world, and, and we're so thankful for you and to be able to share this with you, for you to share your information Thank and your you, knowledge, and especially to catch a spy. It is, it's not just for um, really, it's a great read, Jim. I just, I was really delighted how easy read and to hear your your personality come through was really beautiful too. So I really do recommend it uh, here in the Bryan College Station area and throughout Texas to catch a spy, the, out, the art of counterintelligence by James Olson. Thank you so much um, for coming and just sharing all of these things with you. And I just pray that it, it, it inspires some patriotism in our listeners. Thank you very much, Pam. It was a pleasure to be here. Well, until then, folks, we pray that you will uh, go and love your neighbor. Man, walking, shake off, and talk.